This is Ballot Box. The pointers look at the issues on the ballot in Peel, in Niagara, at Queens Park, and in Ottawa. Now, your host, San Graywall. Hi, everyone. Today in Peel, as is the case across much of Ontario, we have our new council members being sworn in, the inaugurals for Brampton, Mississauga, and Caledon. I believe all three are taking place today. It's a pretty important time for each of the three cities in Peel, a lot of issues that will be dealt with by these new councils. And today we're going to talk about the priorities and what we can expect for the next four years, these new councillors in each of the three municipalities, what they're going to deal with. We have Joel Whitnable, who's going to help us with Caledon and Mississauga. And we have Jessica Derling, our Brampton reporter. Jessica, why don't we start with you? What do you think are the big headlines for this new council in Brampton? Well, with any city, of course, we've got the budget as a main priority, where Brampton has, of course, had their budget froze for the last four years, which took away a lot of significant investments, such as infrastructure and transit, especially since every year cities typically need to budget for uh, infrastructure replacement as these things age. Then, of course, you have an entire term marred with scandals and what this new balance will look like if we'll see any more um, forensic audits come forward or if we're done with that on the municipal level for the next four years. A big concern of mine and uh, what the pointer is going to be keeping an eye on is Patrick Brown, you know, the mayor in Brampton, he he won re-election despite his scandalous past, his four years, which, as you said, they were just completely marred by his behavior, you know, handing out contracts to his friends, canceling forensic audits into questionable spending, allegations of using city resources when he was off campaigning to be the CPC leader federally, uh, all sorts of other things, like all kinds of staff problems, people quitting, the people he hired, again, scandalous, right? People behaved corruptly in Niagara in a terrible hiring scandal back there a few years ago. And what does Patrick Brown do? He turns around and hires the same people, Jason Tamming, this Robert Dambois. You know, again, they literally behaved corruptly in Niagara and Brown, under his leadership, they're brought to Brampton. And then he brings David Barrick, again, implicated in these shocking activities in Niagara. And Brown brings them into Brampton, despite having like no experience and clearly a political hire to do Brown's bidding, brings David Barrick to be the CAO. So a big question I think we have, Jessica, I think you would agree, is who will be the next CAO? Barrick got fired by six council members who openly opposed Brown, accused Brown of, quote, placing democracy under siege, quote, (laughs) that's what they said, that democracy was under siege due to Patrick Brown's behavior. So they got rid of David Barrick. But a lot of those counselors, they're not here anymore. Jeff Bowman stepped down. He didn't run again. Doug Willens, he didn't run again. Charmaine Williams moved on to the province. She's an MPP now. Gurpreet Dillon was defeated. So do you think there will be much opposition to Patrick Brown? Well, between candidates who stood behind him, in some cases quite literally in the past, it really remains to be seen. It seems like he has the majority of council, but really we'll have to wait to see how each councillor chooses to vote. Will they be backing him on any future forensic audits, or will they really be advocating for more 
transparency-based approach. Yeah, I think the forensic audits are probably pretty much done. Brown canceled them in August. He refused to allow them to move forward, lied about it publicly in interviews, claimed that, you know, the one audit into the university had been completed and it was done. And he said, oh, Councillor Bowman received the finished report. That was a total lie. I mean, the guy lies so comfortably, you know, he's like Donald Trump. You know, he lied about all kinds of things related to Nikki Kaur's work performance after she was fired a day after the election. Nikki Kaur was his main challenger. She was also a Brampton employee. She got fired the day after coming second to Brown in the election. And then, like I said, he proceeded to go and conduct media interviews where he lied, you know, about things related to her job performance. Uh, He lied in the media about why the Guelph Humber decision was made to pull out of a campus project in Brampton, Guelph Humber, unilaterally, well, not unilaterally, but they made the decision on their own and they did it not long before the election, basically because under Brown's leadership, council was dragging its heels. The city wasn't moving forward, you know, on what it was supposed to do to get that deal done, to get everything in place to accommodate Guelph Humber. He didn't do his job. They pulled out and then he went and lied. He claimed that it was because of a motion of council. Council back in March, councils that were opposed to him, council members that were opposed to him, that they canceled the Guelph Humber deal. And I went through <laughs> those minutes and there was no council meeting on that day. It's such a ridiculous lie to make. And, and even the council meeting that he might have been referring to, that which was which was another meeting, and it did include a motion about Brampton U and and canceling any future work going forward on Brampton U. Brampton U and the Guelph Humber deal had nothing to do with each other. They were completely different issues. You can go back and look at the minutes, go back and look at all the reports. That motion that he lied about had zero nothing to do with Guelph Humber. But like I said, he just goes and lies. He doesn't care. In fact, if you go forward in May, after he claimed that that deal had been canceled in March by a resolution of council, a total lie, in May, he welcomed Guelph Humber to council to do a big presentation and an update on the plans for their deal. (laughs) So he claims that it got canceled back in March by councillors, which was, like I said, a total lie. And then he doesn't explain, well, why would they then come a couple months later and do a big presentation to you and council and update the deal and the plans and what they needed and all this stuff if your opponent councillors had supposedly canceled the deal months before? No. And then fast forward to October when Guelph Humber released their letter saying, look, we're pulling out of the deal because Patrick Brown and the city of Brampton, they're not doing anything. They're not doing their job. And we can't sit around waiting for a facility to be built to house students. If you aren't doing your job, you're not holding up your end of the deal. We're not going to put our future plans in jeopardy. These students need a place to be. And so I assume they're going to stay in the Etobicoke location where Guelph Humber currently has this satellite campus, the one that was supposed to be moved to Brampton. 
had Patrick Brown and staff and everyone around Patrick Brown not drop the ball. Rowena Santos, Paul Vicente, all of his good buddies. Anyway, we'll leave Brampton. Jessica, thanks for joining us. We'll be staying on top of everything to see which council members want to do their job and represent their constituents and bring in transparency and accountability and protect the taxpayers and which councillors are just going to continue basically doing whatever Patrick Brown tells them. They're master We'll see what happens. Thanks, Jessica. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Joel, we'll we'll switch gears. So we'll do Mississauga first. Joel, what do you think? There's this kind of formal, you know, inauguration. It's kind of not that big of a deal to me, but it sets the tone in that we'll start to know more about the council dynamic in Mississauga. We'll meet a couple of these new council members. Correct me if I'm wrong, Joel, are there three new council members in Mississauga? Four, right. Yeah. Ron Starr, Karen Rass, George Carlson, and Pat Sato are all the outgoing members. Karen Rass had stepped down early in the year. But with four new members, that's a pretty significant turnaround. What would you like to see the new members bring? And what do you think the priorities for this new council should be? Top of mind for this council, and I think it's one of these issues that we've been reporting on heavily, is how they're going to manage the growth of this city and transitioning it from a big city that is just sitting in the shadow of Toronto to a city that can rival Toronto for investment, for interest from people where they want to live, and for all of those things that people essentially look for when they settle down. There are big question marks around how Mississauga is going to deal with a lot of this growth. Obviously, there's big question marks around Bill 23 right now, which we're hearing a lot about, and this growth and density that the province, or not so much density, but how much growth the city is being mandated to handle from the province. And I think it's about 120,000 units by 2030, if I'm not mistaken, or around- Yeah, 2031. 2031. Thank you, Sam. And a lot of that growth is going to have to be infill because as we know, Mississauga has really grown out to its borders. It's going to be up to this council to figure out how they're going to accommodate that. There's a big question mark around downtown because we do have a huge amount of projects in that area. But right now, the city of Mississauga is without a comprehensive downtown master plan. The 2021 or downtown 2021 master plan expired in, well, 2021. And they've been doing consultations to try and build on that plan, but they still have not formalized even a draft document. I believe they're still sort of in a consultation stage that is supposed to continue, if I'm not mistaken, into the the summer or spring of next year. And so without that document to really guide that vision, it's going to be up to these councillors around the table to make sure that they have a collective vision about what that area is going to look like and about how they're going to be able to build a community that has everything that the people need and really shift away from this car-centric form of urban growth that we've seen for so long. And the same goes for the Mississauga's waterfront, not just in terms of how it's going to be able to accommodate the people that inevitably want to live down there in such a beautiful location, but along with balancing density and questions about creating a cohesive whole among the, the urban growth down there, there are a lot of environmental considerations that need to be taken into account when you're building that close to a waterfront. And I think we're seeing some of that consideration with Lakeview and the Jim Tovey conservation area that's being built there. But that sort of mindset needs to be taken and applied to the whole of sort of Mississauga's waterfront when we're looking at really building it out. And again, that's another area that, as far as I'm aware, does not have a cohesive sort of you know waterfront development master plan. 
And so those two areas are sort of a microcosm of really how the city and this council needs to focus and really come to the table with a cohesive vision for what they want to do to build out this city into a metropolis that will start to attract the type of investment from outside sources and from the upper levels of government to sort of build that city into what it wants to be and what Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie has saying she wants to build Mississauga into for years, really. Yeah. And I'll just dovetail with your point about upper levels of government. And it's all connected. You're going to get private sector investment when the private sector sees all kinds of positive things happening. If there's energy, if there's other forms of revenue being pumped in, if there's investment coming in from Queens Park, from Ottawa to build beautiful transportation and other features and upgrade infrastructure and make sure all the amenities of a modern urban city are being incorporated incorporated and brought into to Mississauga that's just going to attract you know even more and more investment that's why you always see this kind of you know hub or hive phenomena around really, really progressive regions and city regions and cities. You know, you look at a place like Ottawa when it had, you know, so much uh, success attracting outside investment, let's say from the tech sector or in the States, like an, an area like Charlotte, of course, the Bay Area around San Francisco, everything kind of builds around each other. Boston, you know, when tons of money was being pumped in to its medical infrastructure and hospitals and medical research and private sector biomedicine and medical and other types of industries and companies like in in those sectors it, they just all build on each other and I, and I think Mississauga is at this at this point now where to get that happening it, it wants to bring in studios right it's made a big play you know to create studio space for the film and TV industry TV TV commercials. Okay, well, how are you going to catalyze that? You've got some good projects in the pipeline, but you probably could use some investment from the province and the federal government, you know, to really now attract more and more companies uh, into Mississauga who participate in those, those industries, film and TV and commercials and whatnot. Same thing with pharmaceuticals. It's been a bit stagnant. You had huge success in the pharmaceutical sector, you know, mostly in the nineties, even a little bit in the eighties, but that has kind of slowed down. I think there's one big Brazilian company, maybe some other smaller investments, but, you know, with some federal and provincial, you know, help and partnerships and the types of investments into like, I'll explain something really quickly. If you don't have a transportation infrastructure, companies are not going to want to locate somewhere where their employees can't get to a central area where they want to like live and work. But if it's really easy for a, a big company, like a multinational company to say, yeah, you know what? Mississauga didn't used to have downtown office space, but now it does. And it's got an LRT and other great transit connectivity and really great housing. So all of those are perfect employment opportunities for a big company. And they say, okay, you know what? Let's move to Mississauga. You've got the office tower space. You've got the transportation that we need. You've got the housing that we need. You already have the labor force, right? We've all known Mississauga is at a phenomenal labor force, highly educated, very young, but what's been holding its back, it back is it doesn't have good transportation for those potential workers, those employees, well-paid, white-collar employees. 
they don't want to work somewhere that doesn't have amenities, doesn't have good schools, doesn't have a good transportation system, doesn't have proper housing. And this is where cities who've gotten everything right, this is where they've really, really benefited. And this is where Mississauga is at. Like Joel said, do you have a plan? Do you have a downtown 2029 or let's say 31 or 41 master plan your downtown 2021 master plan was quite successful but now you need another one to say yeah to downtown 2041 (laughs) and will it include office towers you've got a lot of condos going in but you need office towers and and even if the nature of work is changing and we're not going to see as much day-to-day work in office space anymore well you need to figure out then what kind of needs do them employers have is it more hoteling space you know other types of like temporary facilities for work probably will still need some office tower space maybe other types of corporate and executive employment facilities and these are the things that we haven't seen a lot of movement on to be honest with you like you know i mean bonnie crombie and the rest of council they need to do a better job getting not tens of millions of dollars from ottawa and queens park but billions of dollars Like we did a story where over about a four-year period, Mississauga only received something like $60 million in federal infrastructure funding. And we compared it with Edmonton, not that much bigger. And it, it got over $2 billion in the same period. Now, granted, a lot of that was for Edmonton's LRT. But the point is, is that you need to put in the effort. You need to do the work. You need to be savvy and sophisticated. If you're, you know, a city hall, Mississauga is like the seventh biggest city in Canada. Its population actually decreased between 2016 and 2021, which was a lot of other dynamics. But, you know, you're this huge city. Why aren't you getting the same kind of funding from Ottawa and Queens Park that Toronto is getting? Why should Toronto be getting like 50 times more than you? you're easily about a quarter of the size of Toronto. You're not getting 25% of the funding from Ottawa that Toronto's getting. And again, I want to make this clear. It's not a handout. I say funding, but it's just Mississauga dollars coming back to Mississauga. Those are Mississauga income taxpayers. Those residents, those hardworking people in Mississauga, they're paying their income taxes to Queens Park, to Ottawa, But that's not coming back to Mississauga. We're not seeing billions for things like higher order transit, major infrastructure investments, facilities, certain types of upgrades, electric buses. Mississauga probably needs, I don't know exactly right now, but you know, I'm going to guess somewhere between like three and $600 million for the next wave of electric buses to transition its fleet away from diesel. Okay, what's it doing? It did get a pretty big funding package from the federal government for the transition to electric. So kudos to Mississauga on that. But you need to transition your entire fleet and then don't stop at your buses. What about all your other municipal vehicles? What about all your buildings, retrofitting them, all the lighting, right? So now it's not only about funding, you know, for a modern city, it's about meeting your climate change targets, meeting those goals that you've set for emissions reductions. Those are your plans. What are you doing to meet them? So I think, yeah, you know, Joel, you touched on a lot of this. It's a really important term of council, I think, for Mississauga to become a big city. It is a big city, but act like a big city. I don't even know, Joel, if there's a staffer, maybe in in Mayor Crombie's office or in City Hall, whose only job is to secure 
funding to lobby to arrange meetings for the mayor for council members to get money out of ottawa to get money out of queen's park and if they don't have those kind of positions or they're not doing that kind of work regularly and i don't mean like oh let's invite the local mpps for like a coffee (laughs) i mean proper action that you take in consultation coordination partnership yeah bring in all of those every single mpp in mississauga right now is a is a pc is a progressive conservative so they're the majority government in queens park i mean they should be getting huge wins for mississauga city hall should be working with those six mpps constantly given that their government's in power it's the same thing at the federal level liberal mps you've got a liberal government you know what are you doing to secure money but anyway, why don't we move on to Caledon, Joel? We won't talk about Caledon too much. One of the reasons is I don't think we know a lot about, we know a lot about Annette Groves. Maybe you can start with Annette Groves and how that could be you know, a monumental shift in terms of the way Caledon has done its business in the past, particularly around growth and development. Yeah, we're going to see or we're going to hear her inaugural address tonight at Town of Caledon Council when they're all sworn in. And, and yeah, I, I think that the same... As Mississauga, how this is a big moment for that city. This is a big moment for Caledon. Huge moment for the GTA as well, because you know, you have a mayor that was elected really on a platform that is was solely focused on sustainable growth and really turning a corner at town in the town of Caledon away from a planning and development staff and regime that had really just been working hand in glove with the development industry. You know, we were seeing meetings where staff at the town were not even doing reports on development proposals. They were just using and relying on the the reports prepared by the developer, which is just unheard of. You know, it's essentially trusting that the developer is giving you all the information about the proposed development without actually doing your own research. It's preposterous. And Annette was elected on essentially reversing all of that. I would bet that we'll see a lot of the flavor of her priorities over the next term in her address this evening. But you know, it's happening on the backdrop of what's happening at Queen's Park with Bill 23. And that's going to have significant implications for Caledon and the Greenbelt. And how Annette is going to be able to stick handle all of that with her sort of proposals and her platform of really trying to focus Kaladin or turn Kaladin into really a sort of example of how to grow in the years to come. Because Kaladin, you know, geographically the largest municipality in the GTA, if not Ontario, by sheer size, landmass, has a lot of land that is going to be used for development. It's unfortunate because there is so much valuable green space up there, but there has to be a balance between the two. And that's exactly what Annette Groves got elected to do, is to balance where and how this growth happens. But she's going to be body checked by the PC government who doesn't and care about it. 
and the developers who don't care. Well, and about, when we say the uh, PC government and developers, it's like sort of one and the same. We we know Build, which is the the lobby group, the Building Industry and Land Development Association. So that's the lobby group for the developers. We know Build and the PCs work hand in hand. We know a lot of the big individual developers are very cozy with Doug Ford. We know there's a close relationship with the development industry and Doug Ford and the PCs. So yeah, like Annette's going to have to take all of them on. I, I just hope that there's some council allies for her. And I hope that she can get maybe some help around the regional table. Her best bets are going to be, unfortunately, in, in Mississauga. Brown in Brampton, obviously being there in Caledon's municipal neighbor, would be the most sensical ally. But unfortunately, we've already seen him putting out statements in support of Bill 23. He brags about putting the Highway 413 back on the agenda at Queen's Park when he was the the leader of the opposition. And, you know, both of those things, Caledon, I imagine one of the first orders of business in Caledon will be a motion from Annette Groves to have the town declare their opposition to the Highway 413 project. So I don't see her making many friends in Brampton. Yeah, it's the same thing. Just like I said that, you know, Ford and the PCs are tied to the developers. Patrick Brown's completely tied to the developers. He's not going to do anything to upset people who have supported him in the past, his campaigns, people who ideologically are kind of part of the, the conservative position on growth, like, oh, just build it, just keep building and building and building. You know, we don't care about smart growth. We don't care about density. We don't care about walkable communities. Build the subdivisions, build the highways. Patrick Brown's all for it. He's going to have control of his Brampton counselors. So they're going to be up at the region. They're going to have two additional counselors now. It's up to nine Brampton counselors up at Peel region from seven. Caledon was reduced from five to three. So Annette Grove's even if she does have support from the two other members of Caledon Council that will sit with Annette at the region, I think it's going to come down to how Mississauga votes on a lot of these growth-related issues. But as you said, it won't even be that relevant anymore at the region because Bill 23 takes regional government in Peel out of most planning and official plan business. All of that work, all of that planning, all that growth management that used to be led by the region appeal, it's been stripped. Well, sorry, Bill 23 has not passed yet, but if as proposed, it passes, that's all going to be stripped away. And then it'll be left to the province through the legislation, Bill 23, which gives the province unprecedented power over growth and planning, which used to be managed at the local level. Again, like you said, Joel, I, I don't know that council members, I don't know the dynamics well enough. Like people like Nick DeBoer are back and Lynn Kiernan, they kind of pushed more of that pro-development. I, I don't know if they pushed it, but well, DeBoer did. But the support that was received by former mayor Alan Thompson and people like Jennifer Innes, who wanted to become the mayor but lost to Annette Groves, their pro-developer agenda I don't know if those counselors that previously supported that agenda, if they will change now. With a couple of the new members coming on, again, it's unclear where they stand. And I don't think, Joel, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you have that great of an idea either. No, it'll, it'll be really hard to see because obviously Alan Thompson being you know a very you know, strong mayor in Caledon for so long had support, strong support from his counselors. But with him gone... It changes everything. You know, who knows where loyalties will lie? Who knows whether 
you know, there were any sort of backroom deals or talks between these counselors and the mayor about, you know, okay, if you support me on this, I'll support you on that. So who knows what happens now that Alan Thompson is gone and Annette Gross takes the mayor's seat, where loyalties fall or whether some councils are going to change their position on certain things. It'll be very interesting to see. The questions about development, about Highway 413, about climate change, all of which those three are just you know knotted together. Those are going to be the big questions in Caledon over the next four years. Yep. Joel, thanks so much. Again, thanks to Jessica Derling for joining us. It'll be very interesting to see how these new councils unfold. What happens in the next four years, we're going to be reporting on it. You can check out the pointer pretty much daily for our City Hall coverage. And thanks for joining us today on Ballot Vox, and we hope you'll be with us next week. was hosted by Sam Graywall, produced by yours truly. Join us next week for the Pointer's ongoing coverage of the issues on the ballot. I'm Jeff Chalmers. Thank you for listening. See you next time.